Today is a great day to be here because today we are continuing into volume two or the second part of our three-part series through the gospel according to Mark. And so we'll get into this in just a moment. Uh, This book, just so you know, is a resource. We had volume one, we finished, we took about four weeks off. We're now back in it for another, oh, probably about 12 weeks and we'll take another break. We will be on page six if you want to jot down notes here in just a moment. While you're turning there, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Josh. So glad you're here. If you are a guest, welcome to Clear Creek. We are honored that you'd be with us this morning. And to our guests who are joining us in the cafe or overflow, welcome, as well as all those online, wherever you're joining us from. We want you to know that God loves you and that we are honored to be able to celebrate his resurrection and this moment together with you. Now, getting back into Mark, let me give you just a quick, here's what's happened. Because we have seen Jesus show up and get right onto it. Now, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of these are written testimonies of the life story, at least the ministry portion of the life story of Jesus Christ. Mark was probably the very first one written, probably early to mid-60s AD, we think. It is the shortest of the four Gospels. It is the most action-packed of the four Gospels. Mark is sort of a cross between an ADHD kid saying, well, Jesus was here, and then he went there, and then he went there, and then he went there. He doesn't take a breath. He just keeps going. And maybe a mix between that and a summer blockbuster movie because the whole thing is one action sequence of Jesus casting out demons, Jesus healing people, Jesus calming the storms, Jesus feeding multitudes over and over again. And in fact, if you want to sort of see an outline, if you will, of the way that Jesus works through the gospel of Mark and really through life itself, let me give you the three pieces. Number one, what we see when we think about how Jesus works is number one, Jesus works for us. Now you say, wait a minute, what does that mean? I don't mean that he is your bellhop, but rather, as the scriptures say, if God is... For us, who can be against us? Meaning that Christ came for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. So Christ works for us by healing, by forgiving, by the miracles that he does. And we see this repeatedly through chapters 1 through 5. And then the second piece we see about how God works through the life of Jesus. not just for us, but it's in us. God works in us in us, primarily through teaching. And so we are told in Romans, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, meaning as you think, so you will live. So Jesus doesn't simply forgive, he also teaches. He is for us, he is in us, and then leading into where we're going today and what we'll see over the next few weeks is Jesus works through us. He is the teaching, he is the healing, forgiving, and he is the sending God. And so in this passage, we are about to see Jesus sending out some followers. And here's why. Let me show you a picture of a map. This is on the left-hand side of the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. On the left-hand side is Galilee, up here in the north, Judea in the south. This is the Hebrew portion of the globe. This is where the Jews primarily live. This is Galilee. On the east side, you have the Decapolis, which is 
simply means the ten cities. That's Gentile region. Jesus goes back and forth, back and forth throughout. But right now, Jesus is primarily working in Galilee. But because he is God in a bod, as Andy Stanley puts it, he is limited to space and time. He cannot be in all places at all points when he is in his earthly ministry. He multiplies himself and he sends out the men to do what he has been doing. This is like a test run. Before he is gone, before he ascends to heaven in less than three years from this time, he sends them out to practice what he has been preaching. Here's one of the things you need to know. Our mission as a church is to be a reproducing, multiplying church. And we get that from Jesus. And so, today we're going to look at the sending of the disciples. If you will, let's look now to Mark chapter 6, beginning in the second half of verse 6. And the passages will be on screen as well. Notice it says, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve, that's twelve apostles, the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over every impure spirit. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, bag, or money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. The word there actually is tunic, like an overcoat. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And then down in verse 13, then 12 and 13 says this. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And then down to verse 30, notice it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. This morning, I want us to look at the ABCs. Of ministry, the A, B, C's of ministry. Before we look at this, though, I, I, I heard just a riveting book this week. It was a fantastic book. I almost took a picture of the cover just so that way you might be so excited to go home, find the book yourself, and read it. The book was read to me by my five-year-old daughter, and it was about Mig the pig. Yes, Mig the pig. And as the story goes, you find out that Mig is a pig. Mig is a fat pig. Mig is a pig that can dig. A lot of ig words in this particular book. And Mig can do these other things. And then you learn about this dog that Mig is a friend with. And they start to dig holes. And then you find out who can dig the big hole. Is it Mig the pig or is it the dog? And you find out that Mig is a better digger of big holes. It's just incredible stuff. It was fantastic. Now that was this week on Friday. Also on Friday of this week, my son Stephen, who is eight, did a presentation on a book that he read, The Indian in the Cupboard. By the way, how many of you remember The Indian in the Cupboard book? Any of you read that? Great book. He did the book report. He, he even put together a keynote presentation with the little movements and stuff. He loved it, did all that. And then we got to watch him do that presentation where he read his notes. Now, here's what's interesting. My five-year-old used her ABCs to read about Mig the pig. 
and my eight-year-old use the ABCs to read and report about the Indian in the cupboard. Here's a big point, church. You will never outgrow the simple ABCs of ministry. It doesn't matter how old you get, you may become more sophisticated in your use of the spiritual alphabet, but you will never outgrow the use of the ABCs of ministry. And so I want to walk you through this because here's the reality. We have a group of seniors who are about to step into another season of life where their faith will be put into wonderful and sometimes challenging situations. And you're going to need to know your ABCs. There are those of you who are graduating college and you're about to enter into a workforce where your faith is going to be tested and refined and you need to know your ABCs. There are those of you who are getting married and boy, you're going to have new experiences and you will need to know the ABC. Some of you, you're starting new jobs or you're going back to your old job or you're in neighborhoods or you're in support groups or you're in hobby groups. You are all over the place and no matter where you old are or how old you are, you need to know your ABCs. You will never outgrow them. So here we go. I just want to walk you through this very briefly. The ABCs of ministry, the A, notice this. If you're going to follow Jesus well and be sent where he calls you to go, you need to remember that God, through Jesus Christ, he has given authority and he's given it to you. Authority has been given to you. The A is for authority. Authority has been given to you. Now, the problem is many of us either don't know this, we don't think about this, we don't remember it, or we doubt it. Because many of us think, well, who am I? I mean, I'm a nobody. How in the world could I have this authority or this ability or whatever to go and do? But here's the reality, friends. You and I are not the point. The point is Jesus. It is not about your ability or my ability. It is about the ability of God through Jesus Christ. Amen? That was not real convincing. We'll try this again. It is not your ability or mine. It is simply the power of God through Jesus that matters. Amen? So the authority of God, you say, well, really, where do you get this? Well, Jesus even makes this point, doesn't he? John 15, the, the vine and the branches, he says, apart from me, church, you can do nothing. But then Paul gives us this great word of encouragement in Philippians where he says, yeah, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Meaning apart from Jesus, I have nothing but with Jesus, I can do everything he's called me to do. You have been given authority. Now notice what it says here in verse 7. We're told that Jesus began to send them out to by two. The Greek for that is duo, duo. How many of you know of the dynamic duo? Na 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 Batman. Or maybe you're thinking, no, 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 no. It's not Batman. It's it's the Lone Ranger and Tonto. Or or, or how about this one? Mutt and Jeff. Anyone? You've got all sorts of dynamic duos. But before they were the dynamic duos, you had Peter and Andrew, James and John, Bartholomew and Philip. I mean, come on. 
Why do we not talk more about Bartholomew? It's because the Bible doesn't. But anyway, the dynamic duos, he sends them out two by two. Here's why. You are stronger with another person who is equally focused on the mission of God. You will go not twice as far, but exponentially farther when you walk with another person as you live out the mission of God. Young people, let me tell you, this is why who you marry matters. Who you marry matters. Because if you marry someone who has a different view or is not running in the same direction or the same pace as you, it is not simply that you cannot go as far. You will actually be slowed down. Who you marry matters. We know this. Who you befriend matters. And you should have friends who don't know Christ. That's what Jesus is doing. He's sending out the 12 to expand and share the message. But he says your inner circle, those you most rely on, that you do life together with, you go together because the mission is big. In fact, Ecclesiastes says if two, two are better than one, if one falls down, there's another one to lift him back up. If one person is weak, another one can be strong and help. You need another person. And then he says, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Now, this word authority is the word exousia. Exousia. Let's say this together. Are you ready? Exousia. This is the same Greek word that we learned back in chapter one when Jesus taught as one with authority. And the people were amazed. The word authority is this idea that Christ does not appeal to a greater source for what he does. Rather, he is the greatest source. And he then gives you and me his authority. That word can be translated, he gives you his force. He gives you his position. He gives you his competency or his privilege. Jesus Christ gives you and me authority. Now, what's interesting that I think is so fascinating is if you go back to when the apostles were called in Matthew's account, we're told that they were given authority then. They have now been traveling with Jesus anywhere from 12 months to 18 months. And yet, after a year to a year and a half, we're told Jesus has to give them authority again. Why? They had it already. They had not been using it. What good is authority that is not used? It is wasted authority. Jesus Christ gave them authority for a purpose. Now, I know, I know. Some of you are, are, are wanting to say, no, wait a minute, hold on. Are you saying, Josh, that we have authority over impure spirits? That we get to go around, I cast you out, I cast you out, be healed, and people fall over and flop around like a fish. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. I am not suggesting necessarily that you have their authority. And the question is not, do you have this kind of authority? The question is, what are you doing with the authority you do have. Church, do you know that you have authority in Jesus' name? This is a great time to, you know, do this. If you're nodding off, just kind of, you know, flop a little bit more, it'll be fine. You have authority in the name of Jesus. Let me give you some of the places of authority you have. Did you know that you have authority to pray for people 
And according to James 5, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. God hears it. It is effective. It can change someone's life. Did you know you have authority when you pray to pray for healing? You have authority to pray for someone to come to faith. Did you know that you also have authority to resist the devil? You are not controlled by the enemy. Now listen, you can't control the enemy. You don't get to to, to rebuke the devil. That's not your job. Some people say you rebuke him. No, you don't. But you can resist him. You have the authority to stand firm in Jesus' name. And the promise is the enemy will flee from you. You have that authority. Did you know you have the authority to approach the throne of grace with confidence? Today, in just a few minutes, we're going to have prayer time. Our prayer partners will be up front. By the way, did you notice that? Prayer partners, too, at a place because we are better together. In a moment, you will have opportunity to come and to pray and talk to God, to go into the presence of the throne room of God with confidence. You have that authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? You also have the authority to share your faith with another person, to introduce Jesus Christ to someone. You have the authority to baptize that person. You have the authority to then teach them everything they need to know to follow Jesus well. You have authority. The question is not, do you have this authority? The question is, what are you doing with the authority that you do have? If you want to follow Jesus well, remember that you have authority. That's the A. We're going through the ABCs of ministry. So the B is simply this. Believe God will provide what you need. Believe God will provide what you need. A is authority has been given to you. And then B is believe that God will provide what you need. Notice what he says here. In verse 8 and 9, he says, these things, or these were his instructions. Take, what's this word, church? Let's try this one more time. We are just not awake. This Here's what I need you to do. Hang on, hang on. I want you to put your pin down, pencil down, whatever you got. Okay, put it down. Go ahead. If you need to, you know, flex the fingers a bit, you know, whatever. Just kind of get a little limbered up here. Now, I want you to take your pointer finger. You got a pointer finger? Let me see. Good, good. This little, no, we won't do that. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to poke the person to your left or right. Go ahead, just give them a little poke and say, wake up. Okay, so here we go. You ready? Look what it says. These were his instructions. Say these two words with me. Take nothing. I looked up the word nothing in Greek. Do you know what that word means in Greek? It means nothing. Amazing. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money, or in your belts, wear sandals, but not an extra shirt or tunic. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Take nothing. Quick question. How many of you are married to overpackers? Can I see some hands this morning? How many of you yourselves are overpackers and you're willing to admit it? Can I see some other hands this morning? How many of you are wise enough not to raise your hand for your spouse? Can I see some hands this morning? What's an overpacker do, church? They overpack. They get more stuff than they need. So they put in this, they put in that, they put in this. They go to the kitchen, they yank out the sink, and they put it in as well. And then what do they do? They then hand it to, the, to us, right? The, the more reasonable packers. And they say, carry this, please. Not naming names. Not naming names. Overpackers. And you ask them, why do you overpack? And what do they say? Two words. 
What if? What if I need it? What if it's hot? What if it's cold? What if it's windy? What if it's rainy? What if it's sunny? What if it's cold? What if I want to go? What if I want to go skiing? What if I want to go swimming? You can't do both in the same place, folks. What if? What if? What if? And then you get home and you say, "Well, how much of this did you actually take with you?" And they say, eh, "But I was prepared." Now listen. What ifs are okay for going on family vacations? But a what if mentality can kill ministry. Because you will always think of another what if that will keep you from getting on to the mission that Christ has called you. Well, what if this happens? What, what if they get mad at me when I share my faith? What if, what if they, they don't really like what I'm saying? What if they make fun of me? What if they ignore me? What if I don't have the right words? What if, what if I pray and God doesn't do what I've asked him to? What if I pray with a friend and I tell them that God will answer prayers and then he doesn't in the way we've asked? What if, what ifs can be deadly to ministry. Listen to me. If you want God to use you, then you must remember God has given you authority and believe God will give you exactly what you need. He says, take nothing for the journey. No bread, money, or extra tunic. Now, just real quick, for those of you who know this passage in the other Gospels, he says, don't even take a staff in the other Gospels. You say, wait a minute, so did he say this? Did he say that? Here, real quick, for those of you who might get tripped up on this, uh, Psalm 23 talks about the Lord is our shepherd. You know that imagery? And he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You remember that part of the passage? In Mark, he's talking about the staff specifically. That was a long walking stick with the hook at the end to use to pull sheep back. The rod was a heavier beefier piece of wood that was used as an offensive weapon. Jesus is simply saying in both of these passages, you can get a walking stick, but don't take something. You don't need to defend yourself because I will defend you if you need defending. He says, and no money, no bread. Don't take your lunch. Don't take your bag. This is specifically referring not to like a a, a, a satchel, but a beggar's bag, meaning you don't need to beg others for bread because you have the storehouses of heaven available through prayer. And don't you worry about what you're going to face. In fact, don't even carry an extra shirt, an extra tunic, a long coat. You see, because in the days when you did not have accommodations wherever you went, you'd have to sleep outside. And if it was cold, you just take that extra tunic and you curl up with it. Now we know from later in this chapter that this passage took place most likely in the springtime which in Galilee, it ran between the mid-50s to the mid-70s. And so you might get a cool night here or there, may not, but his point is not, hey, you don't need it, but rather, I will take care of you. You need to believe that God will give you what you need in the moment. Jesus is calling them to travel light and to trust his provision. If you're going to minister, then you must leave behind. You must let go of the what if and replace it with, I just can't wait to see what God is going to do. Have you noticed the people with the greatest God stories are the ones who simply go? And God shows up. A friend of mine named Scott 
is a preacher in the Nashville area. For about nine years, he has spent two days every week going to local abortion clinics simply to be a voice of hope to the women who are coming in. And, and he has said on many times that there are hundreds of people who never stop, never engage him, who just go on past. But he says every couple of days there's that one. There, there's that one who stops. And I love what Scott does. He doesn't just experience these stories. Then he'll take pictures and, and, and so he'll post a year later, two years later, four years later. He has pictures of some of the very first children that by God's grace, God used him to teach and to give hope to a woman who is about to get rid of her child. And now he has stayed in contact and he has pictures of children who are now my son's age because he believed that God would give him what he needed. And you say, but Josh, I'm not a good communicator. What if I don't know the words to say in the moment? Did you know that God can do a miracle with your words that you don't know he's doing? At the right time, he can give you what you need to say. John 14, the Holy Spirit will teach you everything and remind you of all that he has taught you. You will know what to say. And if God does not give you the right words to say, did you know that God can give people the right ears to hear? This happens so frequently. Someone will come up and say, Josh, what you said two, three weeks ago, boy, this really meant something to me. And I'll go, oh, thank you. I'll go back and I'll look. Folks, it's not in my notes. I'll go back and listen. I don't know what they heard, but I didn't say it. God has the ability to let us hear what we need to hear. That is why when one person, it doesn't matter who the speaker is, when one person is speaking, reading the word of God, this word of God can touch every person where they are because the power is not in the presenter. The power is in Jesus Christ. He will give you what you need in the moment. Will you take the chance? And then the C, real quick. A, as authority has been given to you, B, believe it. He will give you what you need and see is then have the confidence that God's work will be done. Have confidence that God's work will be done. I love the fact that our God loves people so much. Aren't you glad God loves people? Let me, let me rephrase that. Aren't you glad God loves you? Isn't that good news? And he doesn't just love you, he likes you. By the way, you know there's a difference between loving someone and liking someone, Right? We all have family and friends that we've got to love. You know who I'm talking about. But then there are those people that we just like. God loves you and he likes you. God loves and he likes the people that he's sending you to reach. God loves and likes your new freshman roommate at college that you may not even know yet. God loves and likes your coworker. God loves and likes your neighbor. God loves and likes the, the student sitting next to you in class. God loves and likes every person who lives, has lived, or will live. In fact, he loves them far more than you and I could ever love them. And we love a lot of them a whole lot. This is good news because what this means is God is not waiting on you to act. He has already been at work. In fact... If you go to John 16, we're told that God's Holy Spirit already is going throughout the world, convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and the coming judgment. Meaning, here's so important, listen to this. Before you leave your door tomorrow morning and engage a person, God has already been working in their life, 
organizing events so that when you show up, they will be ready to receive you. Notice what he says here in verse 10 and 11. Whenever you enter a house, notice this word whenever. He doesn't say if you enter a house or maybe. Jesus himself knows that although they are just now leaving, God's Holy Spirit has already gone out to prepare the hearts and the homes of other people to receive his missionaries so that they would be ready when they get to where they are going. This is why 2 Corinthians 3, 6 is so powerful, where Paul says, look, I plant the seed, Apollos watered the seed, some other dude waters it, but God provides the growth. It is God who is at work. We only play a part. So whenever, I mean, there's going to be open doors for you this week if you will simply step through. But notice this last little phrase here, verse 11. He says, but if any place will not welcome you. Now, can we be honest? How many of us, this is the reason we don't really want to open our mouths. We don't really want to step out. It's because of these. I mean, I'm great with the ones who open the door. Yes, I'll go, I'll go. Wait, someone may not like me? Eh, I think I'll stay home. Someone may not appreciate what I have to say. Eh, I think I'll stay quiet. But you notice he's so honest. I love how Jesus doesn't play games. He says, look, some people are going to be ready and others are going to say, "Mm, no thanks. But don't you dare. Don't you dare focus so much on the no thank yous that you don't speak to the yes pleases of the world. How sad would it be if you and I were so focused on the people who will say no that we miss all the people who would say yes to Jesus Christ. Do you realize that if you know Jesus, you are a yes, please person? Aren't you glad someone did not say, hmm, they may say no, therefore I won't go? I love it. My dad was in sales for a billion years. Yes, a billion years. He was in college a salesman through Southwest Book Sales. Some of you are familiar with this. Basically, it's a uh, program. They would get young men and women. They'd send them out through the summer, and you work You start at 7 a.m. at the first door that you're door knocking all the way till 9 p.m. Rinse, repeat all summer long. It's a tough job. And he said, Josh, the number of times I've had doors slammed in my face or people threaten me with physical violence, he was in the deep, deep south. He said, man, it, it was something else. He said, but one of the pieces of advice he was given that I think every Christian should embrace is this. You have to get the no's out of the way. So tomorrow, if someone says no, thank you, you say, hey, no problem. I just have to get the no's out of the way because there's a yes coming. There's someone God wants me to share faith with. There's someone that God wants me to speak hope into. There's someone God wants me to pray for. I just have to get through the no's. Church, some of us can't get past our very own no's. We need to step into the fact and have confidence that God is going to work his plan completely and totally. So the ABCs, if you didn't get them, here they are one last time. You have been given authority. You need to believe God will provide what you need and see you need to have confidence that God's work will be done.